Hey, Devin. Oh, hey, Melissa. What are we talking about today? I think uh, I think we were going to step into the uh, world of medicine today. And not medicine, but, you know, hospitals and treatments and assessments and... Care so, or lack of. Care or lack of <laughs> policies and procedures. Mm. We both have had some interesting experiences in the hospital system in the last month. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. So uh, Melissa ha- is uh, dealing with some illness care with her mom, and I have been dealing with some illness care with my father, and uh, and we kind of both uh, converged in the hospital at the same time for different reasons. And uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting world in our local hospital, and I'm sure it's kind of across the province, across the country, but... Um, I feel overall in our, so our hospital is a regional hospital, so we take in from all over the place. Um, Our hospital also has um, some surgical capabilities, our hospital has maternity, our hospital has um, a heart cath lab, our hospital does, um, what else do we do? We do, we have a cancer care clinic, we have a diabetes clinic, we have all kinds of cool little... The women's clinic. Women's health network operates from there. So it's a fairly sizable hospital. And um, I don't know, everyone seems to complain about it being understaffed, but dude, like, I feel there's lots of staff in there, whether they're all working and operating functionally properly, but that's a whole other story. But... um, for my experience this year in the hospital with both my grandfather and my father, um, I felt there was adequate staff, adequate nursing, adequate people to talk to when you needed to. Like I, I didn't never felt that I was like struggling. The emergency room may be a different story, but once they're in house, like yeah, like admitted, was, yeah, my dad was admitted and in, in a ward. Um, and like there was always at least two people at the nursing station. There was always someone available to take a phone call. There was, um, you know, always people busy doing stuff and reading charts. And like there, there was adequate people, I would say. Well, then maybe we start with Emerge because mm-hmm. even my most recent experience with dropping my mom off, um, or sorry, let me start over. She needed something dropped off. She was already there. She asked if I could bring her back to the specific area of the hospital she had been called to. She had been sick for a week, so no food intake, no water intake. So after seven days, as a human, you're struggling to function at yeah. this point. So yeah, your organs are, are shutting off. Yeah, and your physical abilities are low and she was still physically ill mm-hmm. so she was in a wheelchair so i roll in to emerge i walk in the door she's basically she looks like a nine-year-old ghost and she's like shivering in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and she needs me to bring her back to what they're calling blue zone oh right yes yeah. so our emergency department is color-coded Yes, so we have different zones for different variations of severity, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But she then proceeds to inform me she was called because I I obviously was like, I can't just bring you. You have to be called. It has to be your turn. 
She had been called 45 minutes before then, and a nurse was to come back and get her. They forgot about her. Oops. So I'm like, okay, I get things are busy, but we cannot be forgetting people in the waiting room. Like, now I, this is my first big problem with that of like, people are, and it's not like, oh, I have a sore back or, oh, I have a, a tummy ache. My mother has not eaten food or had a drink. In seven full days. And, and has been vomiting, if I... It's still remember. vomiting. And yeah, still vomiting. Still vomiting. So it's not like But she's... like, oh, we'll just leave her. It's fine. You just... We'll come back and get you. Like... And so for it, some backstory, your mother also has some severe chronic illnesses. Yeah. She has lupus, rheumatoid arthritis. She is... Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh... Like a defib in her heart or something? She has a pacemaker. Uh, she's said, right? AFib. So A-fib. she just got a, a pacemaker put in this year. So again, like it's all of this kind of just escalating mm-hmm. of just being like, this is someone that is actually extremely sick. Not, you know, like, oh, my kid's got an ear infection. Mm-hmm. I feel for you and your kid with an ear infection. But like this to me is like so serious. Like not just because it's my mother, but like this screams severity to me. Mm-hmm. Get her ass back there. So the faster she can see a doctor, the better. Mm-hmm. So I take her back. We move forward. I get greeted in Blue Zone, which is packed full of people and packed full of staff. Yes, it's an emerge. Yes, it's busy. I understand all of this. But I was greeted with, she can't be there. She's going to have to move. Um, well, where would you like me to put her in this wheelchair? Because like, there's only a little cubby of a waiting room in this blue zone. Yeah, there's only like six chairs or something. Yeah, like it's very, very small, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it was, well, you can't be here. Okay, well, first of all, I'm not staying. Don't fucking talk to me like that. Second of all, he's trying to proceed to kick my mother out of a wheelchair and tell her she has to sit in one of these stationary chairs in the waiting room Mm -hmm. well again i have a problem this woman has not eaten or drank anything in seven days she's still vomiting and here we are just like who gives a shit like who cares let's just manhandle her and move her around and make her get up and make her sit down and make her get up and make her sit down yeah so i so and again i feel for yes it's busy yes you're doing your job but like there needs to be way more like compassion of like and common sense. Mm-hmm. Where's the common sense? If she's in a wheelchair, she's like she's obviously having mobility problems. Yes. Yeah. So like what is your problem? Anyway, <clears throat> then she's still vomiting. So mm-hmm. she needs now you get like a milk bag with a little plat or cardboard mm-hmm. opening. Yep. Cool. So I asked the nurse because I can't find anything. And she gives me one. I take an extra just in case because my thought process is if you get sick, mm-hmm. you don't want to re-get sick in that same no, that same that bag. Needs the to go smell in biohazard. Yeah, the smell, no ma'am. So, but like, why is this up to me? Like I I don't understand. So, like in, again, yes, it's busy, but like, yes, everyone is sick, but to various degrees. Mm-hmm. So and then I had to leave before I was going to, like, unalive somebody. Like, well, I don't appreciate being talked to like this, A. And I'm really embarrassed at the care. Or lack of. Severe lack of. And compassion and everything. And again, I don't need anybody to hold my mom's hand 
or be like, oh, it's going to be fine. Let me rush you to a bed. Like, I'm not stupid. I understand it's a merge. I understand it's packed full of people. I understand everybody's sick. Everybody needs to be seen. I get all of that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it was basically like, fuck you. Fuck your mom. You have to go. She's going to sit in this chair or she's going to get out of here, basically. And it was like, okay, um, mm -mm. so, and again, I'm probably being slightly dramatic, but like, not really. This actually happened and not that long ago. So starting there, and then it took probably a good 12 to 14 hours for her to get a bed and then she was admitted and spent 10 days there mm-hmm. for reference. So we can we can circle back. But that was just my initial emerge experience of being like, okay, don't you still have a job to do? Aren't you supposed to be like caring individuals instead of like, fuck you, fuck your mom, don't really care, get in the chair, get out kind of yeah. thing. Next. Like, now I've... Ex- right? Exactly. Like... Mm, I, I agree with you. Um, so this time with my dad, we, I didn't uh, I didn't have the eMERGE experience because he came in through eMERGE and basically immediately went into a ward just because of the severity of his, <clears throat> of his state when he arrived. However, I did have several very similar eMERGE experiences back in the spring when I was in and out with my grandfather. And... Uh, where we were in a hallway, like on a gurney in a hallway, and my grandfather had been brought in by ambulance. Um, I feel like this was maybe the second time. So he was in and out a couple times in, uh, in, in that many months. But I feel like it was the second time or the maybe even the last time. Um, brought in by ambulance. It would have been around Easter weekend. He was brought in uh, like around supper time. So obviously very busy time of day. I understand that. Um, But what I didn't know prior to this experience was when you're brought in by ambulance, the ambulance attendants that bring you in, paramedics, ambulance attendants, I think they call them now, not paramedics. I don't know. They changed, changed everything all the time. Um... If the hospital is so busy that they cannot accept you right away or admit you, um, the ambulance attendants have to stay with you. It's like um, chain of command, kind of like transferring information from A to B. So if you're brought in by ambulance and let's say the hospital's really backed up and there's no nowhere for you and they can't admit you yet and there's no bed and whatever, you're left on the gurney in a hallway and your ambulance attendants, both of them have to stay with you until the hospital can then fully accept you into their care. So this particular day that I was in there with my grandfather, um, now my grandfather was suffering with uh, dementia, severe dementia, and also was in respiratory failure. So he was in very rough shape. When he came in, he didn't know who he was. He didn't know who I was. He didn't know where we were. He didn't understand that we were in the hospital. He had no concept of really anything at the time. It was, um, so we were one of eight in a hospital, in a, in a hallway. We were in the back staging area, they call it. 
So it's not, it has no electrical hookups. There's no hookups for intravenous or oxygen or anything. So our paramedics had to have their oxygen box tank thing from the ambulance on his gurney running oxygen to him for the entire eight hours that we waited in that hallway before they could take him in to admit him and put him into like what your mom was in, which is like the emergency waiting area where he was in a bed, but we still hadn't seen a doctor or anybody. So eight hours in the hallway before the ambulance attendants could go back on the road. Now, when I say there was eight of us, there was 12 paramedics, Mm. 12. So that's six ambulances that are not on the road getting other sick people and patients and car accident victims and, and all these things. Six of those ambulances are now just sitting at the hospital. Waiting. And not they, doing their job. They can't leave until the hospital accepts that patient. So that was a big eye-opener for me about where the failures lie in our medical system, at least locally. Mm. And then while we were there, the... Um, the supervisor came down from the ambulance, like the main headquarters. They came down because they were wondering why everyone is not responding to calls. They had to call in all the surrounding um, paramedics. So we, they had to call in Coburg and Lindsay to cover for the six ambulances that were parked at the hospital with the ambulance attendants sitting in a hallway not responding to just we were all sitting there drinking coffee all of us we were all taking turns going to get drinks because then you know ambulance attendant a and b were covering for c and d while they went to have a bathroom break and a coffee or get a snack or contact their base or call home or whatever we were all sitting there together it was it was astonishing to me i had no idea that that was our current system well and think of other potential calls or quote-unquote emergencies that are getting completely neglected yeah like Coburg is 40 minutes from here yeah and so is Lindsay so even if you're driving like about out of hell which is fine for them which Mm -hmm. they're used to yeah that's still a huge response time Mm -hmm. if there's an emergency and then imagine like the surrounding area so Peterborough paramedics also service Lakefield, all the way up to Apsley. Mm. Like, we have a huge service area. Huge. So, Coburg has, like, a huge service area. Peterborough has a huge service area. Lindsay has a huge service area. So, the Lindsay Hospital might be 40 minutes away, but you might be... The ambulance itself could be up in Apsley. And Which, for reference for people, is how yeah. far? Oh, absolutely. From here is like 40, 45 minutes. There you go. So if you're 45 minutes north of Peterborough in your ambulance and you get a call that you have to now go all the way to Coburg to cover another one, now we're talking 45 minutes times two. For sure. Yeah. Or vice versa. If a Peterborough ambulance is being held up at the hospital because the hospital can't admit... And now you have to call in a Coburg attendant to take care of an emergency in Peterborough. Now you're 40 minutes plus 40 minutes plus 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy to me. So I learned this little fact back in the spring. This time around, my dad went directly in and um, his like chain of care was 
was good, was really good this time around. Um, but we also knew that he was in his final stages of life, so things are a little bit different when you're doing like respite care, or, or not respite care, um, like end of life care. Totally different story. But um, the emergency room in Peterborough, I think is like one of the ones listed in the province as one of the longest wait times provincially. Yep, and busiest, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, like, I don't even know what the solution is. Like, originally, I thought it's lack of doctors, which could be because a doctor needs to see you in order for you to either be admitted or released mm-hmm. or to assign a test or a diagnostic or a something. So if there's not, if you're, <laughs> if you're packing, so again, our emergency department is very large and it's all color coded. So let's just say you are in blue, okay? So if you could you come in with whatever symptoms and they put you in blue. Let's say blue has 10 beds. Let's just say. Mm-hmm. Blue has 10 beds. You could be sitting in that bed for like you said, 12 to 14 hours before you even get through the see the nurse, be assessed, see the doctor, wait for the doctor be assessed, sent for a a test or a diagnostic image or whatever you need. Like we're looking at an exorbitant amount of time. So like we have all those diagnostics on site at our hospital. So where's the failure? Mm -hmm. It seems that there's enough nurses. Like I, my opinion of the hospital is there seems to be an abundance of nurses but what does not seem to be in abundance is the doctors. So if one doctor is overseeing, let's say, I think our emergency department has what, four different colors? There's red, yellow, blue, and green, right? Is it red, yellow, blue, and green? And orange. Oh, and orange, okay. So there's five, at least. At least, yeah. Okay, so let's say there's five, and let's say there's 10 beds in each, so 50 beds. <clears throat> Plus there's always 50 people sitting in the waiting room. Oh God, minimum. So, which have yet to even be seen by anybody. They've been triaged, but not seen. So if you're looking at a hundred people, let's say just ignore the waiting room. Let's just say the 50 beds. How many doctors are serving those 50 people? And not only how many doctors, but a doctor that's going to see you for a broken ankle is going to be a very different doctor than is going to see you for um, abdominal problems with chronic illnesses underlying and excessive vomiting and all the problems like in your mother's case. Well, not in Emerge. Emerge, you see the doctor on staff and that's it. That's all. Like, that's how that works. So and it- isn't that wild? Like, they may or may not have any knowledge about what your ailment is. Absolutely. So that's a kind general of- doctor... Your GP has a very small spectrum of education on specifics. Yes. So then if your mom had to wait for, say, an internist or a gastro doctor, then how much more long do you have to wait for that? If there's no gastroenterologist on on standby Mm -hmm. or an internist, a doctor of internal medicine on standby, how long do you have to wait for that? Yeah. Well, here's a couple things that are just from the conversation we're having right now about the doctors is so in 10 days, 
Let me just stay on track here. Okay. In 10 days, there were days within a 24-hour period, my mother did not see a doctor at all. And she was admitted, admitted? or Admitted, she... admitted. Okay, yes. like in so, a room. Like yes. Her, okay. So the first initial part of her stay, she was admitted into Orange, which is a section of Emerge. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is there's seemingly, or what they're saying, is not enough beds. In the actual residency of the hospital. Yes. Okay. So she's admitted to Orange Zone within Emerge still because there are no beds. So to move she, her into residency. Yes. Of the hospital. So okay. basically, it's you're waiting for someone to go home or pass away, and that's basically the only way you're getting a bed. And right. so she was in there for probably three or four days. And when I tell you, like, an exorbitant amount of testing, Mm-hmm. And on day two, she's going to shoot me if she ever listens to this. Sorry, mom. Yeah, <laughs> love you. But on day two, she had a doctor come in that had no bedside manner and was basically like, what is your end of life? Do you have an end of life plan? Right. Um, <laughs> hi. Good morning. Yeah. Um. Do you have my what? test results? Right? Um, so her thing was at this time, we had no answers. We had nothing. Nobody's called me, which I understand my mom is coherent. She is mm-hmm. able-bodied. She is to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. So they're having conversations with her, and she isn't asking enough questions to get some proper answers or fishing more that she maybe that I would potentially be doing. Right. I would be mm-hmm. a little bit more... Assertive. assertive with these human beings of being like, what are we looking at? What have we gotten mm-hmm. information about? At this point, we knew there were spots on our stomach and spots on our liver. That um, they believed to be cancer. Yes, lesions. And then we are talking potentially even about um, blood cancer. Right. And that word is not coming to me at the moment. But all of these things of being like, okay, well, these are all potentials is this how we, this is how we greet people? Like, do you have an end? And I get it. Like, mm-hmm. but we're day two. Yeah. Where is the information between, hey, like, this is potentially what's going on here. And let's all fast forward to day 10, where they were finally letting her go home. The nurse let us know, and now she let my mother know, and my mother let me know because I wasn't there, Um, because I couldn't be there, obviously, at every hour of the day. Of course. I have a job. I run a business. Mm -hmm. You know, like all of these things need my attention as well. Um, But again, all important information. If there's information, why why isn't there more communication? Or notes. Anything, right? I kept saying, have somebody call me. Please have somebody communicate with me. Have somebody call me. Mm-hmm. Nope. That would take more time. And I get it. They're busy. I do understand this. Yes. But let's, again, we're fast forwarding. Day 10. My mother has been in the hospital. Day 10. Certain days. And we're waiting for a biopsy. And because my mother has a... Pacemaker. Pacemaker. Thank you. Um, she can't have an MRI. So we right. can't, we don't know what type of cancer it is and we don't know 
what stage it's at. Whereas if we were able to have an MRI, we would know that information. Instead, she yes, instead we she had to go a biopsy route to find out again what type of cancer is it and what stage is it at so that we can have a game plan of what we're going to do, yeah. what they a care plan. Yeah, so mm-hmm. is it treatable? Is it like what what's the game plan? Mm-hmm. But also this is severely pissing me off. You knew on day two, my mother had cancer. So the nurse comes to my mother. Mm-hmm. So On day 10. On day 10, they're sending her home. We finally have a biopsy day two days later, mm-hmm. which I'm appreciative of because mm-hmm. most people wait months. So I mean, And again, you're coming into Christmas, so it's like wild, wild child around everywhere. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, again, yes, we were able to get her in. That's perfect. But my thing is, yeah, well, if you know she has cancer, the hell, what the hell would you be waiting for? Mm-hmm. But my, my issue with all of this is, and now I realize where, why day two, the doctor came in asking if she had an end of life plan. They knew she had cancer on day two. Where was that information? Mm-hmm. Like somebody could have called me. I don't know why they didn't just tell her. Like I just there's a complete lack of communication of like, mm-hmm. and she could have gone home on like day five. Mm-hmm. No, she was in the hospital for day ten. And again, I'll look loop back to some of like the crazy things that happened. But like again, if there's such a lack of beds. What the fuck are we doing keeping people for 10 days instead of saying, okay, ma'am, you have cancer. It's day three, day four. We've done all the testing that we can do. We've done all the, you know, mm-hmm. like copious amounts of blood work and mm-hmm. all of these things. And there the, by is, now the vomiting had subsided, correct? Yes. So okay. she was finally not well or finally better and keeping food down and all these things. Good. So day three, four... I would say probably day five without being a doctor. Yeah, day five. They could have sent her home. Right. So two things with this. One, if there are a lack of beds, why are we doing that? Two, there was at least one or two 24-hour periods where she didn't see a doctor at all. Mm-hmm. Which again, hello, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Is it serious? Is it not? Is there? Where's the communication? Like, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. Second... It's a little bit backing up here, but because she had her pacemaker and she, her pacemaker at one point actually kicked on. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and they're, they're told her she had COVID in between all this while she was there too, right? COVID. Anyway, we will not get into that bullshit, but with the pacemaker kicking on, while she was in orange zone, still in emerge, waiting to be admitted, they had to take off her chart the cardiac part mm-hmm. because she only would have been able to go to the cardiac floor, which I believe is three super limited beds there as well. Mm-hmm. And that narrows down, right? Can't go to the fourth floor, can't go wherever. And it was basically take it off the chart so that you can just get a bed anywhere. A general bed. A gen bed, yes. Mm-hmm. So, but again, how is it like. <clears throat> Anyway, so this is just, again, just major frustration here mm -hmm. being like, okay, if you knew day two that we were dealing with cancer and there was always talk of it, like we weren't. Mm -hmm. That it was a 
possibility. Yeah. I said that to you the first day I saw you mm-hmm. on the Sunday. Um, of just being like, you know, potentially this is what we're looking at. But if you knew day two, why wouldn't you just like, I'm just not understanding the communicate, the lack of communication of like, why is it a secret? Like, mm-hmm. You know, like, what, I just what don't else understand. Are we looking for? What else are we waiting for here? And what's with the extra eight days? Like, mm. even if she had COVID or didn't have COVID or whatever, I tell you. Her home. Well, and again, this is the craziest thing. I walk into the hospital room and she's got COVID. Okay, well, you've been to, if you've been to a hospital at all, you know that you're not in some fancy schmancy Glass room. box. <laughs> well, there are curtains. Yeah, it's like little thin fabric, like almost like underwear. Yes. Curtains. And she's not wearing a mask. She's no. just living her life, hooked up to all these things. And she's literally black and blue because she's had a ton of different IVs and mm-hmm. copious amounts of blood work. And... Like, you're telling me that this is the severity of COVID, and I'm in and out, the nurses are in and out. Oh, yeah. There's so no like, protocols. This is bananas. So, again, when I say all of that, like, I'm not downplaying if you, great. If somebody, mm-hmm. you know, had a major issue with COVID, oh, great. Yeah. Good for exactly. you. But this is how they're dealing with it at the hospital now. So, I'm like, okay, well, if you had some deadly disease... You, you would be, not have a mask. Or you, you would, would be put in isolation. Yeah. So it, again, just one more. Kind of baloney thing. Like yeah. It just, it just like, seems all baloney. And did she even have it? Like two days later, mm. she didn't have it. So I'm mm. like, this is silly. Like, and, and I never got it. Mm. <laughs> in there drinking coffee. Oh, like, yeah. you know. Touching her, helping her do things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, okay, this is silly. So. Yeah, let's... I agree. Let's switch sides for a minute. I'm so, going to breathe over here. <laughs> agree. So the whole... Um, yeah. Oh, I know what I want to ask you. While she was in there for the 10 days, and did she... She did get finally into a bed or no? She stayed yes, in Yes, I think day... Day five or day six was when she finally got um, admitted and she was on the fourth floor. Gotcha. And she had a roommate. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm just going to touch on this now That's before okay, I forget talking about it. Because the level of care it. changes when they get into yes, a room. Yes, yes. So you're further away from the nurses' station. Um, mm-hmm. Still a ton of staff, but like less interaction with staff. Mm-hmm. Um, you get your meals, tra- your meal trays, morning and evening. Mm-hmm. I believe. I don't know that you get lunch. Maybe you do get lunch. I think so. I don't know. I was never there at lunch. I don't remember. But this story particularly, because I was there when this happened, is I was on the phone with my mom earlier in the day being like, this is what time we'll be there, blah, 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 right? Yes, I I visited. Yes, I was there as much as I could be. I could not be there every day. It just didn't work out. So before people come for me, it's unrealistic. It is what it is. So, And there was nothing I could do anyway. Like, what no. was I going to do? Other than sit there and keep her company. Exactly. Nothing I could do. Well, and so. once the vomiting had stopped, and they'd already assessed that she had this thing, this con- condition they were checking on, there's... Again, it's a waiting game. There was nothing else I could do. Yeah, she's just comfortable, and they're, they're just keeping her comfortable and feeding her and waiting it out. For sure. So, mm. my mom's telling me that there's this crazy man in her on her floor 
in her area mm-hmm. that has come in and is stealing from people's food trays and et cetera, et cetera, and just basically has full free reign of whatever he wants to do. He's a bit okay. off his rocker um, yeah. in the nicest way possible, but he, mm-hmm. in my opinion, should have been in um, a more ward. secure, yes, more yeah. secure care. Because, yeah. what, like, my mom is in there, and I'm like, put your wallet away, mm-hmm. put your phone away, like, don't mm-hmm. leave anything out, don't nap, don't do anything. Yeah, which is good advice anyway when you're living in a communal situation like that. Like, I know even with my experience with my grandpa and my dad, it was like, okay, if you have your watch on, we're going to take your watch home. We're going to take yes. your wallet home. Like, I'm going to take all your stays. stuff home because... You know, the, the potential for somebody to come in is great. And they, as the patient, they're not always aware of who's coming and going. And they don't know the difference between who's housekeeping, who's a nurse. Like, they all look the same. Oh, yeah. For sure. Like, the nurses and the housekeeping staff and the food delivery service people. And volunteers. And the volunteers and the people that transport people from... Like, if you have to go for a test, the people that come in to get you, to pick you up, to take you for the test, they all look the same. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And none of them really wear a well-described identification. And, like, in my grandpa and my dad's case, both of them wear eyeglasses. Well, they don't have their eyeglasses on when they're in the hospital necessarily, so they can't even tell if you are, if you have an RN Mm. after your name. Yeah. Or whether you are an orderly or you're a housekeeper or whatever. They don't know. You're just someone walking in the room. You could be anybody. Absolutely. It's very nondescript of who's responsible for what in the hospital and whose task is assigned. Like, someone will come in, and I, re- I remember clearly my grandfather. Someone came in to bring him some, to take something. And um, I said, oh, um, his his IV fluid was running low. And I said, oh, I just wanted to let you know his intravenous fluid is running low. Um, can that bag please be changed? Like sooner rather than later so I know it's changed before I leave for the day. And they were like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not his nurse. I'm not his anybody. And I was like, then what are you, what are you doing in here touching his stuff then? Like if you're not his nurse, you're not a nurse, how come you're doing things for him then. You're like, let's get clear with What this. is your Who responsibility? You? Who are you? Like, it's almost like on an aircraft carrier where each person that has a different job has an assigned color. So, like, on an aircraft carrier, they all wear color-coded shirts so you know what their responsibility is. It's like we need something like that in our system. You know, if you're wearing white, you're a nurse. If you're wearing blue, you're an orderly. If you're wearing green, you're housekeeping. So that everyone knows. And it needs to be posted in the patient rooms that these people, these are these are what the jobs are. Yeah, I feel like that's so low on everybody's priority list that it's just two things. Well, one, one let me let me finish this crazy Oh, yeah, so there's story. this man wandering around taking food off everyone's trays. Yeah, so he's stealing. And I'm like, well, shit, like, what else is he stealing? Mm-hmm. The other thing is, while I am there in her room, this gentleman wanders into her room, wanders into the restroom, pees in the sink, Ooh. and then leaves. Oh, boy. 
And I didn't think, because I am a civilized human, that because I went in and was like, well, because the toilet didn't flush or anything. Yeah. So, so I'm like, what are you doing flush? here? So he pee- he came in the bathroom and he didn't. What was he doing in the bathroom? Like I would have been like, what was he doing in there? So I get up and I check and I was like, well, there's nothing in the toilet. Right. And then I, I ended up leaving. And then my mom calls me later to be like, oh, just so you know, this is what he actually was doing in I there. I figured it out. There was pubic hair in the sink. Because he peed in the sink. And he had peed in three doors down in their sink later that day. Because your mom started asking questions. So it was like, okay, this is nuts. And I mean, again, so basically my whole point of this is, are you really telling me that there's not enough care available? Mm-hmm. Or not enough, like, again, this person should have been, now, I would never suggest somebody chronic gets, like, but he should strapped be a, to a, his bed. A chronic care floor where the doors are locked, though. Yeah, like, if you know this person is going around acting a fool and stealing from people, mm-hmm. and, I mean, my mom pointed out and was like, well, you don't get fed very much, so maybe for a grown man, mm-hmm. the, Fair. it's not enough, yada, yada, yada. But you but can like, ask at the nursing station if there's additional food. They well, will get that for you. And what happens to my mother's roommate, who's 99 and sleeps literally 99% of the time, if she wakes up and she would like her food, it's gone now. She doesn't have milk, her sandwich is gone, or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, um, again, what? what? So, yeah. again, little things like that. I mean, I don't expect people to be babysitting, but, like, my mom called mm-hmm. and was like, um, the wanderer's in my room now, he's in the bathroom. I'm feeling very uncomfortable, unsafe. So I'm like, yeah, this big problem here. That is a huge problem. Right? But that's like a safety and security issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh my goodness. Yes. There was also someone. Um, so when my dad was in, my dad was in an almost completely unconscious state. Like he was only in the hospital from um, Friday till Wednesday. So Friday to Wednesday. So Friday he came in through a merge. They immediately got him in because they ambulanced him. So he was ambulanced in. They immediately got him in because they realized how severe he was. So they got him into any available bed, which again was a gen bed because he should have been put in palliative, but palliative care was not an option because there was no beds available because there's only so many palliative care beds, right? And I understand the level of care in a palliative care floor is like supersedes everything else. So, my dad, who needed palliative care, which is like around-the-clock chronic monitoring and watching, right? Um, he wasn't able to get those things because they had to put him in a gen bed. So, he was also on the fourth floor. Yeah. So, they put him in, like, the best they could give him. So, they put him in a floor where people go to rehabilitate after, like, knee and ankle and hip surgery to go yeah. home. so my dad's roommate so my dad's in there in his last days of his life um which was very apparent physically like anyone that saw him could tell um he was non-communicative he was in and out of wakefulness he was um on receiving oxygen by nose but like his um 
they were unable to kind of keep him on like fluid intake because his veins were collapsing and he was in really rough shape. <clears throat> and he, by the way, my dad was f full of cancer, bone cancer. So he was full of cancer, which they didn't realize the extent of it until like it was too late. Right. Well, similar situation, right? Had a pacemaker. Mm -hmm. My dad had a pacemaker. So again, backing our story up. So back in August, my dad had a pacemaker replacement, which was pretty is pretty standard. He's had them done several times over the years. Pacemaker replacement <clears throat> done in Kingston Hospital, where he deals with for his pacemaker. He was up there for several days. They changed the pacemaker out. He got a new one, sent him home. Um, his dementia had gotten to a point where um, like even daily self-care was becoming like difficult, um, but he didn't want to admit it, of course. So um, an infection happened in his the pocket where they put the pacemaker. He got a severe infection and, from lack of wound care and of course didn't send him home with PSW for lack for wound care because my dad portrayed himself that he was capable. And unfortunately, he wasn't. So he got this massive infection, which could have killed him then. Luckily, it didn't. <clears throat> then he was put into our local hospital here in Peterborough. And at that time, they were treating him for the infection. He'd also developed a bit of pneumonia, so he was having trouble with breathing. They were treating that. At that time, while he was in hospital in August, um, then... The nurses were concerned because he was, um, they called it talking foolish, and he was um, hallucinating. He was exhibiting signs of like some, some stages of like mental distress and stuff like this. So the nurses were very concerned. They contacted me, and that's when my, my role started. And basically it was, yes, my, my dad has cognitive decline. It's declining quicker and quicker and quicker. I'm sure this infection didn't help things. Um, having to ha go through the procedure for the pacemaker didn't help things. But again, they couldn't do the MRI. They should have done an MRI in August. They were unable to because of the pacemaker. Yeah. Um, and because of the infection in the pacemaker, it's not like they could easily just open the incision, pop it out, and put it back in either. And my dad's kind of in a chronic thing situation with his heart, so like that could have been deadly. Unable to do the proper tests to diagnose what his actual medical status was and then of course several months lit go by and now we're into like no you know early december well i guess it would have been end of october beginning of november my dad is failing rapidly and now it's like oh he has like late stage bone cancer and it's throughout his entire body so my opinion is that should have been caught in august um would it have changed the end result probably not however his suffering probably could have been a little less in the last stages of his life because they would have known in august and they could have planned a course of action we could have got a better treatment plan we could have got him into palliative sooner or into hospice or somewhere where he would have been really well cared for and that his last couple months of life probably would have been exponentially more um humane for lack of a better term 
I think on that note, shall we wrap it here and have yeah. a part two? Yeah, I totally want a part two this one because uh, I think there's probably a lot of people that have struggled in our current medical climate that we could uh, bring a whole pile of more stories to the table. I think so. Well, and again, uh, this will evolve and mm-hmm. we can get into also kind of what happens I think it's important to, because this has come up for me as like a highlighted, oh my God, I didn't even know, Mm -hmm. is do the people in your life have all their arrangements? Mm -hmm. What do you need to know? Um, Power of attorney. All of those things. Like I wasn't aware, again, we're getting into it, but I wasn't aware, like if you aren't power of attorney Mm -hmm. and somebody is not able to communicate Mm -hmm. in the hospital. Mm -hmm. You can't. Correct. Legally, you are not allowed. You can't help with their care. You can't say what to do, anything like that. So we'll get into that Mm -hmm. next time. For sure. I am a wealth. (laughs) I know. I know. Which is why I want to save it. Yeah, let's do Um, that. But that will definitely be kind of a a two-parter. Yeah, I love two parts. Amazing. Until next next time, guys. Thank you. See y'all.